0: We have armies of people that are implementing Agile in large companies, and their definition of success is: are the people doing the cadences and ceremonies Got and it. roles okay. and all that stuff? Right. So yeah. success becomes procedural rather than outcomes based. So we have these internal mechanisms. We talk about outcomes based plans and things like that, mm-hmm. where the measure of success is like that organization has to move, it has to perform better, it has to be, right. it has to have different characteristics. Because just showing up and teaching people how to do is insufficient, right? It has to achieve the business benefit of it.
1: Hey, this is Dave Fryer. Welcome to Leading Agile Sound Notes. I'm back with Mike
0: Kottmeyer. Mike, thanks for making time. Yeah, we're welcome. We're making a habit of this. It's like almost yeah. every week that we've been doing this lately, yeah. huh? Yes, and I'm glad that
1: we are today, especially because. Yeah, cool. So every month I do a lean coffee for the CSM and CSPo students, and one of them okay. showed up today with a specific problem that I am going to ask you for advice on. Okay, cool. The guy's issue is that his company's been working on agile transformation for like seven years. Well, um, they have put all the teams through it. They put management through training. They've been working tirelessly solving one problem after another, but now people are losing faith. There's clamoring to go back to the waterfall. And from what I know about the organization, they've reached this weird place where the thing that is stopping them is this ocean of technical debt that they can't climb through. And while they're trying to, everybody's like, yeah, let's just do the other thing. It's easier.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: How does he reinvigorate his organization?
0: Well, so okay, so this will be a cool thing. So, just for our listening audiences' uh, edification here, um, when I when I reached out to Dave this week and we were discussing podcast ideas, one of the things that um, I'm starting to explore a little bit is is what are the conceptual things? What is what's the belief system that you have to overcome to get people to even? want to do agile at all, let alone, you know, pivot after, after seven years. And so, and so let's, let's see if um, maybe we can dovetail the two topics a little bit.
1: And, and, and I want to, I want to yeah. offer a little meta thing for the people okay, that cool. are about to watch you do this. Okay. I always make the joke that Mike could meet somebody in the middle of the desert. And if they were holding a nail and a styrofoam cup in 15 minutes, he would have them going, I have to transform to agile because of the way <laughs> <laughs> that he attacks the problem well, situation and breaks it down, but you you go down to the core level and then you build things back up, and well, and yeah, that's so what that's you're going to do now.
0: Yeah, that's exactly it, right? <laughs> so in order to in order to be able to convince somebody to do anything, it's funny how these themes repeat. I was literally just on a call with some of my consultants talking about this just a, an hour ago, and and you have to understand what people believe. You have to deconstruct their existing belief system. You have to replace the belief system with a new set of beliefs. And then, you know, within that new set of beliefs, you can start to give them solutions and patterns for for how to solve it. So like when I walk in to um, any kind of sales situation, the number one question I ask is, is why did you call me and why do you think agile is going to solve your problem? Like, what about it is going to solve your problem? Okay. So if I were sitting with the, with the people that you talked to today I, I'm guessing, of course, right, is that, is that their belief system is that if they um, form complete cross-functional teams mm-hmm. and that they um, start doing the practices of Scrum, yeah. Scrum will reveal the impediments. The teams mm-hmm. will self-organize to remove the impediments and that um, that they will improve over time. There's a belief in there right yeah. and and i would suggest that's what most scrum trainers train and that's what most people i hear talk on social media talk about yeah. and it's all this like radical self organization and um you know you know i grew up in financial services um you know i grew up in very complex systems that were built on top of legacy mainframes that were very um their legacy mainframes usually was like some sort of you know large database, there's some sort of, you know, front-end system, there's reporting engines, there's right, all kinds of tremendous amount of complexity, tremendous okay. amount of technical debt. And, and the, the fundamental failure mode of that initial hypothesis is that the team can remove their own impediments. And, and, and it sounds like in this case that, you know, technical debts, um, you know, dependencies, poor architecture, all those kinds of things, they're going to get in the way of being able to do Agile because Agile is yeah. all about, right? It comes down to Teams, backlogs, working, tests, and software, right? I have a really clean list of backlog items and things I want to build in, invest, model, you know, independent, negotiable, valuable, estimate, a little, small, testable. Team swarms around it, does it during the course of the, the, the sprint, delivers a, uh, a slice of working, tested software, they get feedback from the customer, they meet the right. definition of done, they claim the velocity, they understand where they're at against the backlog, done, well mm-hmm. when you have a tremendous amount of technical debt, you don't have the ability to get to a definition of done. you don't have the okay. ability to deploy continuously you don't have the ability to ensure that um, that you didn't break anything else you don't have the ability to test harness you don't have the ability to continuously integrate you don't have the con- ability to continuously deploy right it's so you just you just think like it's problem after problem after problem after right. problem these are impediments right yeah so now I'm a scrum master on a single team working in an 1,800-person ecosystem on top of a gigantic mainframe, and it's like, what is the value of Scrum in that situation? Yeah. Right? Because, so let's say I take it to one extreme. Let's say I'm pure play agilist, and I go, right. no rules, no overhead, no orchestration mechanisms, no nothing. I'm just gonna be pure play Scrum. Right. And, and I sit there and I go, I go like even if I wasn't worried about backlog size, I wasn't worried about velocity, I wasn't worried about making any commitments, I wasn't worried about being predictable, I wasn't worried yeah. about any of the things that sometimes we talk about. How can that team put things in market and inspect and adapt and get feedback and know that they're being successful? Okay, they can't. Right, they can't. Right. Um, it goes back to that Schwaber quote I say all the time. It's like you can't. You can't argue whether Scrum works. Scrum is like chess; you you play it. You play it well, or you don't play it well. Yeah. Um, I'd go to say you have all the pieces. You don't have all the pieces. You have the playing board. You don't have the playing board. So, so you're dealing with a team that is tired because they believe the wrong things. Okay. About about what it takes to do agile. Everybody's been trained. Cool. That means they know how to. Do. Run a sprint planning meeting, they know daily daily stand up, they know how to do a review, they know how to do a retrospective, they understand collaboration, they might know how to break down requirements, they not, might know how to story point estimate, okay. they might know how to do a burn down chart, maintain a backlog, a sprint backlog, a release backlog, they might know how to do release planning, sure. But they can't deliver anything into market for feedback ever.
1: Well, I want to I want to add to it, too, because and this is something you talk about a lot with the structure thing. They come out of my class. I mean, going way back to when I started teaching there, they would come out of my class with an understanding of how this stuff was supposed to work. Yeah. But their organization was set up in a way that that the most commonly used word was accountable. They want to hold everyone accountable. So Scrum is used as a way to control people and manage people. But they can't even do what I'm saying to do because well, their environment won't support
0: well, it. Well, let's even say – well, I think I'm making your point, right? So let's even say they maintain this culture of accountability, mm-hmm. right? So let's say, let's say for example um, – and, and we'll actually do this in some environments. Let's say, the example, I mandated um, what every team was responsible for, and I, I externally imposed um, backlogs on them. And I demanded that they stabilize velocity. And I demanded that they become predictable. Right? That's not like agile in the pure play sense because ideally we want to keep things fluid and loose and negotiable. We want to empower the teams. We want to create a culture of ownership, fast yeah. feedback, inspecting and adapting. Say I violate every bit of that rule. <coughs> okay. And I do command and control, team-based, incremental and iterative development. Yeah. At least in that state, yeah. I could do that. But i'd be able to get feedback i know i'd get to a definition of done sure i'd be able to establish velocity like i could do a lot of things that would make maybe it's not agile Mm -hmm. but it's team-based incremental iterative we know where the progress we're making right all those things um in the presence of the dependencies in the presence of the technical debt in the presence of how those teams are organized and how they're governed and how they're measured and all those different things like tell me one thing in that environment that Scrum is going to give them, maybe they have more transparency to the, to the work that they're doing together. Maybe they okay. have more esprit de corps because they're collaborating as a team. Maybe they like the, um, the meetings and the cadences and all that stuff. They like have an awareness any, that things could be better or like should be better. But any business-driven, economically focused reason for doing Scrum, yeah, is absolutely out the door. Yeah, right. And and this is where this is where I frustrated is not really the word anymore. Like it, it, kind of blows me away some days. It kind of makes me sad some days. Like <laughs> melancholy. That's melancholy. the word you're looking word, for. Yeah. It's like it's like this belief. I mean, it comes honestly, right? Because these kinds of changes are really difficult to make and they take mm-hmm. a lot of time. And if you're hiring consultants to do them, they can be very expensive. Um, there's a lot of perceived risk. Mm-hmm. Um, and so so you get into like, like what must you believe um, about the ecosystem that an agile team operates in? Right. What do you have to believe about what's possible to change? Um, one of the things I led with as I was taking notes for this week's content with you and some of the other stuff I've done today is as I was thinking about, like, what like what is the definition of success look like? Um, you know this, right? You grew up in the PMI world just like I did, right? Yeah. At the end of the day, remember, like, back in the day that we used to, um, we used to like, incentivize the QA teams for finding defects? Mm-hmm. Right. Like, that's a really weird incentive. I want to incentivize you to find defects. It's a little bit like incentivizing a police officer to stop speeders or something. But right. You know anybody what I mean? who
1: wants to do QA is a little bit off, in, in my well, opinion, anyway.
0: For sure. Right. So we'll, 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 uh, throw them we'll a bone. Come on. Attacks on our, uh, QA <laughs> brethren here. But, um, but it's like, it's like the incentives are messed up. Right. And so, mm-hmm. and so there's, um, you know, so what starts to happen is I start to optimize for finding defects rather than producing working test of software that customers can use. Right. Yeah. And so and so um, you have to believe I mean, you have to. You have, oh, I know where I was going. It's like it's like the definition of success of an agile transformation often mm-hmm. in an environment like what you're talking about becomes. Does each team have a scrum master? Does each team have a product owner? Yeah. Is each team doing a daily stand-up? Is each team doing a review and retrospective? So it becomes process. Like it's like back in the old project management days, where success on the project was did I complete all the deliverables that were required. I have this I, one funny story. One of my earliest clients. It was I think it was just me at the time. I don't even know <coughs> if I hired my first person yet. And and there's I was working with this utility, and it was like it was like this four hundred line um, Gantt chart. Mm-hmm. And 399 of the lines were either deliverables or meetings and there was one line that was like 8 weeks long that said write the software. I just thought that was hilarious, right? It was like everything that was that was about the project, yeah. that actually delivered the project that was every bit of value was one line item in a 400 line Gantt chart. <laughs> and and you're just like, okay, Nice. Missing the point, right? Yeah. It's, and so what starts to happen was you're a project manager or a tester or whatever, and you do not have the ability to change the system that you operate in. Right. You locally optimize. Everybody wants to show up to work and feel good about what they do. Mm-hmm. Everybody wants to show up to work and be successful. Right. Like most people don't want to, to take money for nothing. Most people don't want to do a bad job. So So if you're in that environment, And you're leading that Agile transformation. And you have no ability to change anything in that ecosystem. You start to redefine success as are the people doing Agile. And then then this is where the sad thing becomes. It's like everybody's doing Agile perfectly by the book. yeah, And it's not working. So what do we say? We say say that that Agile didn't work here. Maybe we should go back to Waterfall. Maybe just Agile isn't the thing for us.
1: Can I? Yeah.
0: I want to ask a question about this. And and I only have like eight minutes left before, you know, no, I'm just sorry. I can't, I can't not
1: ask it. So when I, when I learned that whole thing about only 30% of the projects are successful, that was when I decided as a PMP that I needed to change my definition of success. And I will tell you that the worst, biggest disaster projects I was a part (laughs) of. Are the ones I was the best project manager on because my whole measure of success was did I make people did I get them the information did I help them make good yeah. choices did I follow up on that yeah um, is there not a
0: parallel for that in agile well, for sure so why wasn't the success I delivered the project on time on budget on scope because that was beyond my control it's totally beyond your control right so you right. define success as something else yeah perfect example right yeah and so we have we have armies of people that are implementing agile in large companies. And their definition of success is: Are the people doing the cadences and ceremonies Got and it. roles okay. and all that stuff? Right. So yeah. success becomes procedural rather than outcomes based. Okay. Right. We yeah. sometimes like I'll talk internally with leading agile is like it's like a show up and coach mentality. It's like if if a consultant gets <clears throat> on the ground and you know for some reason you know. You know, they're working in a part where we don't have the right agency or the right executive support or something. You know, something's off on the account. Right. You know, they just show up and start working with teams. And, and they're showing up and they're doing good stuff and they're teaching skills and they're helping the team. It's like everything's great, right? They're not doing right. anything wrong, but the organization isn't achieving the goals on the timeline that we promised. Yeah. If that happens right it's so it's like so we have these internal mechanisms we talk about outcomes based plans and things like that mm-hmm. where the measure of success is like that organization has to move it has to perform better it has to be right. it has to have different characteristics because right. just showing up and teaching people how to do is insufficient right it has to achieve the business benefit of it yeah. so so the person that you were talking to today like their whole thing is they're operating under a belief system that says if we do agile well. Mm-hmm. Chances are that's probably the definition of success. But that definition of success is probably predicated on the fact that agile teams will identify their impediments and remove them. But the impediments that they identify are organizational design, governance, metrics, control, audit, technical debt. Which agile is not going to fix any of those things. Well, it could. It could. But because of our, our mindset around what success looks like, what the mm-hmm. executives committed to, their willingness to change. It is, an, it is an entirely different set of problems to do product extraction, wrap um, services and tests, move them to the cloud, put them into a CI CD okay. pipeline, right? Do DevOps, right? All the different things, change the governance structures, change the funding strategies, right. change these things. Like when executives are encountered with those, um, those impediments mm-hmm. then they go like like yeah i didn't sign up for that i told you you could do agile right i told you yeah. you could go to scrum class right <laughs> and and they yeah. didn't pull through all the implications of it right they didn't okay. pull through all the implications yeah. But so they didn't ago, their eyes were not open wide enough to what they were walking into well well i i, I think it's it's complicit right the execs okay. want an easy button it's the level of understanding that the employees have right mm-hmm. everybody's operating in good faith but nobody, like, deeply understands the things that they're going to stub their toes on, right? Okay. And so, and so um, you know, I get a, a lot of times I get asked, like, you know, how to convince my execs or how to help my people see or, or whatever. and mm-hmm. And, you know, kind of to your point, I mean, that's kind of what I do, right, in these speaking things or whatever, right? So it's yeah. like. Like what I, ch- I I joke, and it's not really a joke that leading agile is like a hammer running around looking for nails, right? Mm-hmm. So we get on and we do these kinds of talks and I talk about systems first and practices and culture and all these different things. And what my hope is, and it, and it generally works, is that the people that have the problems that we solve and have bought into the ideas right. that we we implement will show up and identify themselves as the nail looking for a hammer, right? And, okay. then, and then we can come in and we can help them. Yeah. But and that's why I'm kind of going down this path of like what are the beliefs that we have to overcome in order to help people see this stuff. And okay. you know, we we spun up, we made some pretty significant investments a couple of years ago into a software studio. And and our software studio does a bunch of different things. It sometimes will be custom software for people, sometimes it does scaled tech coaching or tech coaching, and right. we're helping to improve. But one of the things that we offer that is this idea of product extraction. Because as you move through the base camps, right? So if you think of our base camp structure, so we take a slice of the organization, we call an expedition, and we move it okay. to the next steady state. And the next okay. steady state, we, the first steady state, we call base camp one, and it's about getting the system predictable.
1: Yeah,
0: And getting the system predictable in the presence of dependencies and technical debt requires okay. a lot of orchestration and planning. So like that first belief system is that if people go, oh, well, that's not agile. Agile doesn't require orchestration and planning. I go, well, Agile also mandates, you know, dependencies between teams. So okay. if you have dependencies, you got to manage them. If you don't want to manage them, you got to break them. Okay? okay. So we got a lot of success in an early stage transformation, forming teams, putting in governance models, changing how they measure, what they control, getting the organization to operate predictably, using Agile tools and techniques, but without the, um, without the true empowerment, like without the true ethos of Agile, right? Okay. And then what you can do is through your release management practices, your deployment practices, your testing practices, um, how you do some of your funding models, you can start to put smaller batches in the market. So that was okay. Basecamp 1, Basecamp 2. So stabilize the system, start delivering more frequently. And okay. us as an organization, we got to a point where um, we had articulated Basecamp 3, 4, and 5. Right. And Basecamp 3 was this idea of breaking dependencies, um, removing technical debt. Right. Okay. Figuring out where the where the um, the crevices in the system were so we could start splitting services apart, moving things to the cloud and doing the DevOps work and all that kind of stuff. Okay. So we couldn't help people get to greater levels of agility until we had the capability to do that. So we built that capability. Okay. Um, but that's but that's the piece that I think your client is struggling with. So assuming that they're that they have really solid teams, um, mm-hmm. assuming that those teams understand how to do agile, and stabilize, velocity, all those things. Yeah. The first thing that they're probably missing is that they don't have an orchestration layer to deal with the dependencies, okay. Um, while that there's the technical debt, so that's probably the first okay. thing that's broken. The second thing that's broken is that they're probably operating in batch sizes that are way too large. Probably still in a projectized ecosystem. Yeah. Um, you know, there's some probably some shot that they're still forming teams around projects rather than bringing projects to teams, right? There's, mm-hmm. So there's a whole thing there. Um, so you have to start tackling batch sizing first. Okay. But it, while you're doing that, you have to be able to think like, okay, how am I going to start removing these dependencies and increasing encapsulation across yeah. the organization? Right. And so there's there's skills that the developers need to, to know, like you know, legacy recovering skills, product extraction, like just okay. you know, um, how to write tests, how to encapsulate, how to pull things apart, like the whole Michael Feathers world of, of stuff that I can't do, I can loosely <laughs> talk about, right? But the idea is we have to create um, a dependency-free environment between teams or at least groups of teams and organizations. Okay. And, and that's – and when you get through Basecamp 3, that's when you've got a shot at doing agile like we talk about in the literature. Where you have okay. truly empowered teams that are collaborating with a customer, adapting in real time. And they can do that because they don't have all those structural dependencies to everything else in the organization. Okay. One of my favorite jokes to talk about from stage is, um, you know, I talk about my in-laws. And I actually have Kimmy's permission to tell the story. But it's like the joke I make is if um, I'm home by myself and I want to go to dinner go anywhere I want. If I'm driving out for pizza and I decide I want a beer and a burger, I just change direction and I do whatever, right? Right. Um, If I'm planning with my wife, I at least owe her a courtesy call and I have to negotiate if we're going to change places. Yeah. If I'm going to dinner with 10 other people that Collaboration um, is—it's a lot, right? Because I got to get I got to get ten people's schedules changed, right? Yeah. And and then the joke that I make is that when I go to dinner with my in-laws, that's like a firm dependency that can never be broken because it's always four thirty, it's always a steak, it's always, you know, because they're eighty-three and so. So so more funny when I when I tell it for real on stage, I think right (laughs) at least people chuckle and give me a humor laugh. But um, but the idea is is that I feel bad. When I have dependencies, when I'm <laughs> coupled to other things, yeah. that reduces my agility because I can't deploy, I can't change direction, I can't take unilateral feedback from a client. I can't right. – just a lot of things I can't do. So anytime there's a dependency, it's going to reduce agility. Mm-hmm. So an early-stage transformation in the presence of dependencies is team-based, it's agile, it's incremental, it's iterative. I can use Kanban, I can use Scrum. Sure. I can do a lot of different things, right? But it's still largely plan-driven because those dependencies have to be pretty tightly orchestrated. Mm -hmm. As I reduce batch, I can bring in more opportunities to have feedback, but I still have to deal with the dependencies. It's only once I break the dependencies can we have a real conversation about doing agile at the team level or agile at the organizational level with any, um, you know, uh, you know, sense of idealism to what this is supposed to be when Kent Beck and Alistair and sure. those guys are writing about it, right? So and then at the point that you broken dependencies, you have two paths you can go down. You can either you can either um, do team based funding where you have persistent teaming, mm-hmm. like a product driven organization, you have team based funding, and you give the team a bucket of money, but you give them requirements and objectives and all the things like we might in a traditional organization. Or mm-hmm. you can move them past that and you can say, here's a bucket of money, go solve this problem by engaging with the marketplace and figuring out how the problem wants it to be solved. Right. Okay. And, and you know, there's there's industries where that makes sense and where both either thing makes sense. but But you have to understand what that failure mode is. You have to understand what the belief system that perpetuates it is. Right. And then you have to come up with a credible alternative and a credible approach to overcome those impediments. Right, okay. and, and that's the biggest thing. It's like impediments at that level of scale, most organizations are not going to self-organize them out. But, and it's, so you've got to be intentional about it. You've got to be intentional and thoughtful about how you're going to pull that organization apart. So
1: I've been stuck on something since you mentioned that, you know, the, where they are is basically level three. Like that is, in my opinion, like kind of a, three for us. Yeah, base camp three, right?
0: That's what yeah. I mean, so there's, I would suggest they're probably at best chaos to base camp one, maybe base camp two. Okay. Because I can't imagine if they're struggling that much that they're orchestrating those dependencies now. No, I don't, I don't think imagine they are. that they're probably doing batch, reduced batch size at the feature and epic level or at the initiative level. Okay. Like I, I would be blown away if they were doing that. My guess is that they're going through the motions of doing scrum and they probably have. A lot of teams that have been really committed to doing Scrum for a long time and deeply mm-hmm. understand it. Yeah. But they have a leadership um, group that doesn't understand the negative impacts of dependencies and or, or doesn't know how to, have to have fix this it. Idea how to begin to unpack yeah. that or do something about it, right?
1: So I get this vibe that there's a sense that they're going to get to like Agile land and then we're all going to get ice cream and great things are going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Um, but isn't – I mean, wherever they are, whether it's one base camp 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, it's all part of this journey. And as long as it's better than it was before, I mean, that's a bit of an achievement that should be acknowledged as well. I mean, where well, they are it, now compared to
0: where they were seven years well, ago. But this, is, ago, the person, but this is the question. Are they in a better place? And if they're in a better yes. place, why do they want to go back to Waterfall?
1: Well, that's – so that's the thing. They're in a better place, but I think
0: – Well, what's better?
1: They have more awareness. They have changed a lot of things in their system. So let me try to see if I can articulate it. They've changed a lot of things in like their system. i Scrum with
0: you in a minute. That's just, just oh, okay. I'm ready. ready. You're just giving me ammo. Yeah. Okay, they, cool.
1: they have a greater awareness. Like you said, Scrum's supposed to show you this stuff. Yeah. They see a lot of this stuff. They yeah. can't fix all of it, but they know that it's messed up. They know it's okay. supposed to be better. And I would argue that that's a more mature way of understanding your situation, and then you can make better choices about it. They are still hung up in a lot of old habits that are holding them back. They have structural stuff that's holding them back. But isn't knowing that
0: better than what they had before, which was not knowing it? Not if they go back to waterfall with it. Not if they come to the conclusion that Agile doesn't work for them. Right. So so (laughs) So
1: that's really important, though, because I got the impression that it was. I keep making a joke about an ex-girlfriend. I didn't get the sense that anybody really wanted to switch the whole company back to Waterfall. But they're just like, you know what? Screw the diet. Let's just go. Think about it.
0: Right. Think about like if you bought the promise of agile, Mm -hmm. empowered teams, inspecting, adapting, working with customers, all those things. And you're mired in this ecosystem of nonsense that doesn't allow you to do any of it. Yeah. I would suggest that Agile, You feel bad and guilty all the time. Well, well, I would suspect that Agile is probably more disruptive and and from a pure business delivery perspective, right, probably creating more chaos and more churn for that organization Possibly, than the experience yeah. in Waterfall. Yeah. I bet they probably delivered things reasonably well in Waterfall. It was just slow, hard to change, full but of waste. All that kind of, of, of predictable. Kind of predictable. Because you knew it was going to be slow. Yeah, you knew it was going to be slow, right? All those kinds of things. So I suspect that Agile as practiced probably has created a lot of chaos for that organization, a lot of noise mm-hmm. in there yes right? i think that's fair and to so, say okay so to your argument so i think we acknowledge that their business outcomes probably have not improved i suspect that they probably like the teaming and the collaboration and the transparency mm-hmm. and knowing what people are doing and it's probably a lot of feel-good stuff yeah to your point they probably have a pretty good understanding of what the organizational dysfunction is which is good right mm-hmm. um but if they don't have the ability to do anything about it and go back Yeah, you said something that was interesting, right? They they cling to like bad behaviors. Well, like here's an interesting thing, right? There's an interesting judgment in that. It's like it's like um, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I don't know that this is um, so. Like I started getting in shape a couple years ago, and um, I was working with a trainer, and I was trying to figure out how to do a squat, right? Um, Like a like a squat. Now everyone's imagining you squatting. Yeah, you know, just like an Olympic kind of bar squat kind of a thing. And and I had a lot of, um, you know, 52, right? I hadn't been exercising at that level. And when I did, it was more running and stuff like that. So um, I had a lot of um, issues in my body that caused me to have bad form when I squatted. Okay, Okay. But if I didn't do those things, I would fall over. Because mm-hmm. I just didn't have the right balance. I didn't have the right flexibility yeah. I have whatever, right? So <laughs> did I have bad form? 100%. Was I doing a squat right? Absolutely not. Did I have bad habits? 100% I did. But if I didn't do those things, I was going to tip over with, you know. Well, yeah,
1: you could still right? squat.
0: Right? You got like, the outcome. Well, no, I couldn't, right? I couldn't do that without injuring myself, right? Oh, you and injured so, yourself. All right. And that's so in order to, in order to, so I actually worked with the guy for I did this while Kimmy was sick. You have a squat um, I guy. This guy every week, a coach specifically James Morton, who's done some work with us, right? Um, he he basically over a three month period broke me down to nothing. We isolated yeah. what the problems were that were causing me not to be able to squat. I worked a lot of auxiliary muscles around the squat. Sure, worked on a lot of flexibility issues, and after about three months, I could do a, a reasonably like, like near perfect squat, not with yeah. crazy heavy weight, but like a near perfect squat. And I could still do a near perfect squat, but I had to work on the fundamental issues that were preventing me from being able to do that. So yeah. when I hear something like bad behaviors, resorting to old habits, whatever, the reason they're doing that is because they haven't changed the thing that is causing those behaviors to yeah. exhibit. Like you can't tell me that, um, you know, oh, we're <clears throat> agile. You shouldn't manage dependencies now. But we have dependencies. Yeah. So if it's a bad habit to manage dependencies and plan dependencies and plan ahead for dependencies because we're agile, you tell me it's a bad habit. When do the dependencies get resolved? Well, the reality is that they don't get resolved, right? And so right. we don't have to deliver in a way that actually works, right? And so they resort okay. to old habits. That's not a problem with what – because they're doing what's necessary to stay alive. hmm Right. And so it's up to us or the leadership team, really, right? That's what I meant. Yeah, it's up to the leaders of the organization to say, look, here's the underlying root causes that are causing these people to revert back to bad habits. Okay. And we change those and we create the conditions so they don't need those habits anymore. Okay. Right? And and so that's the thing. And so it's like, it's it's like and, and this is why this is why I get um Energetic or frustrated about this sometimes because the agile industry is so hell bent on this idea of self organization and power the teams. Like, like I'm going to go out on a limb here and tell you that it's the people doing the work are not always the best people to figure out or how to solve problems this way. Right. People have different skills and experiences and perspectives and somebody who's really great working in a team on a well-defined problem might not be the best person to conceptualize how to create an integrated system across Um, to use like an industrial systems engineering metaphor. Like I might be a person who is, I'm brilliant. I'm the team lead on the team that produces doors. Yeah. And I produce great doors. I know how to install a door. The door, install a door. I'm the door guy. I'm the door guy, right? Yeah. But just because I'm the door guy doesn't mean I know how to orchestrate an entire assembly line with paint and tires sure. and all different things, right? So we have a group of people that have agency to be self-organizing within the team. Mm-hmm. And then we have a group of people that are responsible or have purview or agency over how the entire system interacts. Yeah. Now, great. In an ideal world, we have a thousand teams; they're all totally independent. Every team gets to decide because they're all working with customers and everything. Right. Great. Do that if you've got that environment. Okay. Right. But if you're dealing with complex systems that have thousands of people and lots of teams that have to have integrated deliverables, and right. you've got dependencies and technical debt. There is some intentionality and thought that needs to be done that even if the teams could decide, yeah, how are you going to get all of them to agree on the elements of the system that are going to because again like it's just not even it's like it's fascinating right It's not even just what should the system look like it's mm-hmm. it's what should the system <clears throat> look like when we get it to the place we want it to be. But then you have to sit and figure out what are all the intermediate steps How do you along get the there? way yeah. to get it there. Because even if you had all the money, time, commitment, <clears throat> culture, mindset, whatever, right, like like it takes years to untangle that technical debt and to do the level of yeah. product extraction that needs to be done. Okay. So what do you do in the middle while you're while you're doing that? I go well, back to that Bosford Craig Larman thing in their first book on last like the seminal work it's like it's like yeah you need to like break all the dependencies organizations so it'll probably take you a couple of years but you just figure it out. So I, I mean, at, hold that's on, that's on a second. Unfair, that's a I just, for phrase, those of I'm you keeping score
1: at home 4 minutes ago Mike almost evoked taylorism as a way of understanding who gets to decide the best way to work. And then right after that, he goes into Larman and Boss bone. So, I'm a little <laughs> in
0: this space. <laughs> so, you know, so it's like it's interesting, right? So, like, I would joke sometimes, and I'm only half joking, is that, you know, like a lot of what we do in Leading Agile run transformations. Mm-hmm. And we talked about this, I think, a week or two ago. Um, you can use Waterfall to run an Agile transformation. Like yeah. I'm just telling you, this stuff isn't emergent in that same way, and 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 like agile's beautiful at um, helping us inspect and adapt our way into things that we don't know.
1: Yeah,
0: but but it's also a great tool for managing work when we do know, and and just because we don't know everything doesn't mean that we pretend we don't know anything. Mm-hmm. And and there are principles and patterns and reference architectures and ways this things work that are time tested and proven. You see elements of it in Scrum. You see elements of it in SAFe. You see elements of it in Less. Like the patterns, absolutely, absolutely work. Right. Question is, is how do you get there? What do you? What do you need to change? How willing are you to change? How fast can you change? How much do you want to invest in change? <sighs> Right. But, but the reason your, your, your person you're talking to is super frustrated is because they did a practices-first transformation. Sure. Maybe they did a culture-first transformation. They didn't address any of the systems problem. And it's like running a marathon on a beach or up yeah. a hill or through water. And, yeah, you might be able to get it done, but it's going to wear you the hell out. Well, so when you're
1: in the middle of it, Right, I mean every. Let's say they totally believe everything you say, but there is yeah. a point of fatigue. In the same way that, I mean, this journey that you've been on with trying to like improve your health and get fit yeah. and everything, there's got to be mornings when you wake up and you're like, oh, screw it, I, yeah, did, uh, I sure. don't want to get out of yeah, bed
0: for sure, right? Um, yeah, I mean, and be- and
1: a person could cheat on their diet or not work out, but if a company says we're going to go back to waterfall.
0: Well, okay. So, so at, at the risk of quoting the book that I, do you have it next to you? The red, green, yellow, blue uh, book? Oh, hold on. Hold on. I'm ready to go. Or something? I got it. Uh, let's get it.
1: Hold on. I just had it a second ago.
0: My favorite line out of that book. It's probably the only line I remember specifically out of the book is the idea that, um, I, I got that. that. Like if you're using, if your system is stable you can use predictive process control and that will be the most effective way to do it. Okay. If your system is inherently unstable, um, what does it say? Empirical process control is the way you do it, right? So okay. Scrum is an empirical process control mechanism, right? You're sampling you're sampling the, the user stories, the features that are coming through the system. Yeah. And you're measuring their, their suitability to purpose. You're measuring their size. You're measuring their completeness. You're measuring all those things, right? So it's an empirical process control system. And it is way harder, and it's way less efficient to use empirical process control if your system is predictable. But mm-hmm. if your system is unpredictable, it's the only way. Okay. Right. So sure, people get tired of doing transformation. Cool. Got it. Go back to predictive process control. Is your system is your system dynamic? Does it need to respond to change? Like, well, then you're going to screw yourself going back to predictive process control. Right. So what other choice do you okay. have? So that's so the thing right? is,
1: you've got to acknowledge what switching going to date your ex-girlfriend is going to do to your life
0: well okay so this is something that you've heard this story before it's like you have the guy who's like looking for his keys or something like that under the street Drunk under
1: a street light somebody
0: comes up and asks him like where'd you lose your keys oh i lost them down the street well why are you looking here well it's like the the light's better or something and it, so it's like, it's like, it's fine. Like if, if you want to go back to predictive process Worst and telling you, of that joke ever. Yeah. sorry. Yeah, <laughs> it's just more of a reference point, right? It wasn't really, I wasn't trying to deliver the joke. I'm not a good joke teller. My middle son, Daniel, um, master joke teller, that kid can roast you like viciously on stuff. That's like real, that hurts your feelings and you will be laughing at yourself. He's that funny. Right. It's, it's, that's it's good. hilarious. That's right? a skill. Yeah. Dude, I'm telling you, man, it's totally yeah. a skill. Um, but anyway, so it's like, it's like if, if it's easier to go back to predictive process control and waterfall, do it, but it's not going to solve your problem just because it's easier just because the light's better. Right. Yeah. Um, and so you have to recognize, and again, this is all it really comes down to. It's like, it's like, what are the attributes of the system that are going to create the outcomes that you want? I want to be able to produce software into market and get feedback from customers and charge money for it early. Okay. Cool. That's a great goal. What is the attribute of the system that's going to be able to do that? Well, it's likely teams organized around value, yeah, operating in small batches, able to put things in market in a in a um, in a every two weeks or so. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. So now I look at my ecosystem and I go, What do I need to change here in order to be able to do that? Yeah. Well, I got a bunch of technical and dependencies. Cool. Let's let's it's gonna take a while, but let's start doing it. Right? Yeah. You don't get fit in a day, you don't get fit I'm um, going to CSM class. I mean, right? you you like, that's basically sit-ups.
1: What? It's, it's sit-ups. It's, or, or it's, it's the exercise nobody really wants to do, but you got to well, do it.
0: Well, the worst part, like if you showed up to the gym every day and you got instant results every day, instant measurable, result, you worked out, you looked great. You worked out, you were fit. You ate, you, you let, didn't eat the cookie. I could be an influencer. That's six pack abs, right? Yeah. But the problem is you have to show up and do the work every single day. Yeah. And, and it just gets incrementally better small little tiny doses yeah but but there's another side to that right so the belief system is i'm going to do scrum and like again there's there's fundamentals to this stuff (laughs) it's like me going running when i go running then i'll be in shape but yeah Um, not really it it all comes down to me (laughs) to this thing i talk about all the time teams backlogs working tests and software at the work surface level in any agile organization i need complete cross-functional teams with no dependencies yeah um a clean backlog authoritative backlog, and the ability to produce a working test and increment at the end of every sprint. Okay. If I have dependencies, I have to orchestrate them. Over time, I want to break them. Period. Hard stop, right? Yeah. So if you're struggling with your agile and you want to go back, like, fine, go back. It's not going to solve your problem. It's just going to make it easier, but it's going to be easier because you're delivering the wrong stuff. You're not delivering it on time. Yeah. You're not giving the business what they want. You're not, you're, you're spending too much money before you're, like, all the all the failure modes are the failure modes, yeah, and the success patterns are clear, but I am telling you, like the the Scrum industry is complicit in this myth. Mm-hmm. The myth is, you go to CSM training, you get the you you get the cert, you come back, you do Scrum. Scrum shows you your impediments, you break them. Yeah. Until the Scrum impediments are system wide problems that no single team has agency to solve, so yeah. you have to have some mechanism in that organization to create the conditions to do Scrum well, right? period, hard stop. Okay. Now, again, right, little self-serving plug for what we do, right? So we built a methodology that enables you to conceptualize how the organization needs to change, what does it need to look like in a incremental and iterative way of doing that mm-hmm. that demonstrates business value all along the way. Um, that's the only way we figured out how to grow and stay in the game. Yeah, Because you can't walk into a 13 or 15,000 person organization and say, oh, we're going to train you on CSM, and you guys are going to self-organize your way into success.
1: Well, if you do have 15,000 people in your organization, we don't want to tell you not to get them trained in Scrum because that would be an awesome thing to do, but it's not going to get you all the way there.
0: Well, for sure, right? It gets into this whole thing of systems, practices, and culture, right? Mm -hmm. So in the right ecosystem where we have teams, we have backlogs, we have working test software, structure, governance, and metrics – hundred percent. Scrum's part of that story. Mm -hmm. Kanban's part of that story. Release planning's part of the story. Um, Decomposition of work is part of the story. Minimally viable product is part of the story. Um, Tech practices, DevOps, CICD, like all that stuff's part of the story. And training plays a, you know, we consult the way um, one of my good friends in the industry is a lady named Sally Alotta. And, you know, she started the, um, oh gosh, Agile Health product. And um, Mm -hmm. back in the day before she became a software company, we would talk about, like, she sold expensive training and pretty cheap consulting. And what we did is we sold more expensive consulting, but basically did the training for free on the engagements. Because what I didn't want to do is I didn't want to value the training different from the coaching and consulting because it all goes together so tightly. So at any given moment, you're forming teams and backlogs, and and you need to run a workshop on requirements decomposition or Mm -hmm. or story breakdown or whatever, or you need to run a thing on how to develop a Kanban system, or you need Mm -hmm. to do something on lean theory of constraints, or you need to do something on Scrum or whatever, right? right? So like we bring you in if a client particularly wants like certified training. That's cool, right? Awesome, all day long. But we weave all kinds of training in the mix, right? So. So training a hundred percent, but that's a practices focused thing. It's a practices and culture focused thing. Yeah. And what my assertion is, and I'll die on this battlefield, is that until we get the teaming strategies, governance, all that stuff right, yeah. and start to get really Training's serious about not gonna get the you, tendencies, it's get just not going to do it, right? Yeah. Now we've had, you know, we've been in business almost thirteen years, and you know, we have. You've been working with me at seven at some point. Mm-hmm. Point. Long time. Yeah. And we have some examples of people that call us up and said, like, Mike, we hear you. Got it. We just need some scrum training. And yeah. we're like, OK, cool. Right. Put me in. And, yep. and a handful of those have, have turned into consulting clients. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's, a, that's great when that happens, because you start to realize the limitations of the practices. Yeah. And, um, and it's hard to ask people to change their mindset when the system isn't producing the desired results. So you get the system in place, and the practices in place, and everything's producing the desired results. Right. And then you can go to your business partners and say, look, we have this really awesome system. It does what it says it's going to do. It's a reliable system you can delegate into. Right. And let me teach you how to exploit it so you can increase value density. You can put things okay. in the market faster. You can start to get ROI out and of it. And that's when you and, start to go and, up And this thing. is how you learn to trust it. This is how you learn to even put rocket okay. fuel into it and make it go faster. But asking for that level of trust um, prior to having a system that can actually produce the results you want. Yeah, it's not going to work. It's not going to work, right? Yeah. And, and again, just what that one thing I want to anchor on is that idea that the vast majority of impediments that are getting in the way of organizations like you're talking about, yeah. technical debt, dependencies, legacy refactoring, like all that kind of stuff. Right. And that is just not going to self-organize its way out of the system in most yeah. organizations. Just not going to. So you've got right? to be really intentional So, so about getting into kind of marrying these two topics, it's like, you know, a big part of what I'm going to be exploring over the next couple of weeks, months, maybe. I don't know. Maybe write a new white paper on it. But it's like if if you were going to go into that organization and you were going to get those leaders to do the work required to create the conditions so that Agile can work and thrive, right? what would they have to believe differently about their organization? Okay. I have a I have an interesting uh, I have an interesting relationship. My oldest son is getting married, and um, and his fiance we become friends with her parents, and um, he is a really high up guy in a software company, security software or something. And we were going out to a football game in Baton Rouge um, last football season, and we were talking about technical debt, and mm. I was explaining what technical debt was to him. And he was like, "Oh, like," and he's like, "like head of sales or something like that," right? Okay. And 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 we're using this word technical. He didn't even know what it meant, right? And it's not he's a super smart guy, right? Yeah. But like in his head, like he just had a different conceptualization. And what I was just I was explaining is like every time you push that team to produce something faster than they can do, and you don't allow them time to good mm-hmm. architecture, maintain encapsulation, testing, deployment, yeah. right? All that stuff. Then then. It, it's going to cause that technical debt to accumulate, and as it accumulates, you know, use the, the you have to pay down the debt in order yeah. to, yeah. So I mean, you know, for you know the the, the thing I use, it's like if you're if you're making a hundred thousand dollars a year, but you're living on twenty thousand dollars worth the credit cards every year. At the point that you decide you want to not live on credit cards, not only do you not have the hundred and twenty thousand dollar rate, right? But you've got to go down to like eighty. Because you, you have to pay, so it's like, yeah. like the 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 pill for that organization is so expensive because they've mm-hmm. allowed themselves to get into so much debt. Yeah, and my wife and I did that early in our marriage. We got to the point where we were carrying too much debt, and just servicing the debt is hard, right? Yeah. Let alone getting out of it, right? And so, and so, these are the problems, and they're real problems, right? So, so like the challenge is we have to create a way to economically justify it, help the leaders understand it understand the impact of the decisions that they're making, give them a path forward, a way to, you know, to deal with it financially. Like and and the impact of choosing the,
1: the other option to going back to
0: what you were doing before. Yeah. And the, and the problem is, it's like, it's like, again, like we know this, right? We're preaching and acquire. All that does is create an illusion of certainty, right? Right. It takes the pressure off, but it doesn't improve the system because there's no world in which you know what, but maybe if they're doing agile in a chaotic way, maybe going back to waterfall would be better. But it wouldn't be as good as what's possible if they were yeah, able they did it to do right. agile the right way. Yeah. Right. Because they went down this path for the last seven years for a reason. There was yeah. a promise. They they've invested time, energy. They probably hired trainers. They so really want to throw it all away? All these things, yeah. right? And, and, and granted, that's sunk cost, right? So we don't want to we don't want to subscribe with sunk cost fallacy. But but at the same time, they went down this path for a reason, and and the failure mode is knowable. Mm -hmm. and the the way to overcome it and what you need to invest is knowable yeah and 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 i would you know suggest that before they go back to waterfall they should at least take a look at like what would it take to do it right. right that's good okay yeah yeah, my white paper okay yeah cool thank you Yeah, I okay, did. Awesome, hope I, this I, I, has this, this has become a really fun way to spend a Friday afternoon, man. So, yeah, this is so good thanks good end qu-
1: I have a question for you. I thought yeah, of a sure question when i So, can you lean back so they can see what's behind you?
0: Oh, that my guitar is over there. If you
1: could Throwing. only have if if you could only have one of them. Ooh. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Kimmy's going to take all of them away except for
0: one. That's hard, man. Um, yeah. Well, so like, so like, here's the interesting thing, right? So, so let me tell you what criteria that I would use, right? I'd find something that was really versatile, really playable, had a nice fast neck. Um, like I've got a, uh, a, a. There's only one answer to that Telecaster. No, definitely wouldn't be a Telecaster. Too twangy for me, right? It's not multi-purpose. Okay. If I would, um, w- one of the first guitars I bought from a buddy of mine, it's a American Standard Stratocaster with a humbucker in the bridge position, so it's a humbucker okay. and two single coils, incredibly versatile guitar. Um, okay. I might have to go a direction like that. Um, I've got a really cool. Um, it's a it's a Gibson Custom Shop Les Paul. Um, really beautiful guitar, kind of slightly aged. Um, and it's, and in the sixties, there was two different necks. There's like a, a fatter neck and a thinner neck. And I think it's the latter half of the 1960 where they did the thinner neck. Okay. And I've got one of those that could, that could be a candidate, um, for it. I was just pulled out a guitar today, um, that I really love that and playing played it was a Parker fly. Um, really fast neck, really super light guitar. Okay. Um, Gosh, you know, my heart is, um, I love Gibson Flying Vs. I love the way they sound. I've got wow. like four of them. Um, really? Yeah, I actually wow. have three of the 67 reissues. I've got the red one, the white one, and the black one. Okay. And then um, Dave Mustaine from Megadeth has a signature one where it's a Gibson Flying V with like an Explorer headstock. Okay. And, uh, and um, that one's cool. Um, so I love Vs. Like if it was just a pure style thing, it would definitely yeah. be Gibson Flying V. So you uh, had to pick one and you pick like seven. You know, man, all I'm doing is talking through uh, considerations, <laughs> you know? Um, there's a there's a Jackson Super Strat that I just got. It's like the Phil Collins signature model. That would definitely be in the running. Okay. Um, I literally just ordered it. it. came today. I was playing with it right before you got here. Um, uh, Nuno Betancourt, the guitar player for yeah. Extreme. Um, he's kind of back in. Extreme just released a new album, and okay. I bought his signature guitar, and was okay. moving around on it. I don't, I, I can't say that that would be a keeper at this point, but um, it's definitely in that in that space. All right. um, I was playing. Uh, I've, I've been buying signature guitars lately. John Petrucci has uh, uh-huh. his Majesty, his Ernie Ball Majesty. It's a phenomenal guitar. I was just thinking, like I have like a little like guitar store behind me. Like yeah, I have like I almost like one of everything that you could imagine, and and <laughs> some I haven't played in years. And it's fun just to pull it out and just go like, oh yeah, let me just see this guitar and play this guitar in a long time. Cool, you know. Um, but you know what? Actually, I just answered my question. Uh, probably my favorite guitar on a collection. <laughs> it's a, it's a Gibson Les Paul ES, which okay. basically means it's a hollow body Les Paul with the f holes in it. Yeah, and it's got a big speed tremolo. And it's got P90 pickups in it. Super okay. light, sounds awesome. Um, man, it would break my heart to part with the other seventy of them. But uh, but, but that's that would, the one. That would probably be the one. All I wasn't right. thinking about it because it's in the other part of my house. That's the one my wife lets me keep in the living room so I can play it while we're watching TV. And
1: All right. Well, that's good. Yeah. Thank you, yeah. man.
0: Awesome, man. And <laughs> cool. Well, so so I'll tell you. This is a fun fact. I've known you for a long time. I did not know that you were such a good guitar player you're arguably a better guitar player than I am. Oh, wow. And, and that you. Mule Rezaphonic. That you awesome playing the awesome, man. Oh, it sounded so, so good. The Mule is a sweet thing, so yeah. I, yeah c- so
1: I can't so wait it's to it's hear so the one that you got, because you got a different one than I got, and I'll be psyched well, to hear that. Yeah, so,
0: so, um yeah, so I get to get all the glory, right, because I got the guitars behind me, and I got to play on stage with Collective Soul and stuff like that. But Dave is the bomb, <laughs> man, So, and and he loves playing in public, so you should get him on a Zoom call sometime. <laughs> We that was the employees. first time in 30 years that i've played in front of people yeah we got we were doing like these employee spotlights on our on our calls weekly calls with the team and we got david to play us a song so it was that was cool. fun we have cool. a couple guitar players here in the company so
1: yeah,
0: yeah. thank
1: you sir cool. See you. have a good weekend you too bye-bye